Let's start with some biscuits. So we're doing a taste test? Yes, we are. We're going to eat some biscuits I was given by my cousin. They are from the Tokyo Milk Cheese Factory since 2011. Great pedigree there. They have an amazing tagline. Would you like to read it for us? Your cheek might drop. What does that mean? Does that mean like your cheek might drop in surprise? Is that a nice thing? Or is it like your cheek might fall off? I don't know. I'll age 50 years immediately. (laughs) (laughs) So these are salt and camembert cookies. They are still well in date. You'll be pleased to know. Wait, wait, but you can't use. Can you do use cookie and biscuit interchangeably? Evidently, yes. Sorry, is that is that inappropriate? You're doing cookie a disservice. I feel a cookie is a far superior product. What is the difference between a cookie and a biscuit? I don't know. So cookies are things you like eating and biscuits are not? Is that what you're trying to say? Yes. Rich tea is a biscuit. Yes, I don't like rich tea biscuits. But chocolate chip is a cookie. Yes. What is a custard cream? It's a biscuit. And what's wrong with custard creams? It's in the same family as the rich tea biscuit. Are you British or not, Ting? Not enough. <laughs> not enough. Uh, it's okay, you're a Hong Konger again now. What does that mean I'm meant to like then? Hong Kong Yan. Bolo Bao. I'm probably saying this wrong. I've got all my tones wrong again, right? I probably just insulted your mother. You may have Sorry, done. Mrs. Ting. You may have done, but I know what you're saying. I mean, I'm not sure these days. <laughs> all right, let's get on with it. Cram one of these in your pie hole. Oh, you know, your your biscuits are so fancy. They're always individually wrapped. I'm going to say that's a Japanese thing. But yes, you're right. The last few sets of biscuits or cookies I've had have all been from Japan and they have all been individually wrapped. This is like a deterrent to stop you from scoffing all of them. <laughs> yeah, that's right, actually. That's true. You, you're going to give it a smell? Describe it. It's got a strong cheese whiff to it. It smells kind of like a Ritz cracker. Yes, it does. Salty and cheesy. Hmm. So it's a a sweet cracker with cheese sandwiched in the middle. <laughs> How are your cheeks? They're quite loose at the moment. <laughs> Maybe it's your butt cheeks. Maybe it's going to come out the other end in a disturbing way. <laughs> They're just going to fall off. I think this kind of goes back to a conversation we had I can't even remember when. It was in a previous pre-chat about how in Asia they don't use cheese like the West uses cheese. Like, you would not put salty camembert cheese between sweet biscuits and call it a dessert in the UK. You would call it an abomination. (laughs) It's actually not unpleasant, but nor is it really delicious. (laughs) My cheeks are dropping in surprise. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy with that. So I wanted to talk to you about custom registration plates. How do you feel about them? I don't have a car. I don't have any particularly strong feelings. I think it's cool. I think it's really funny that in Hong Kong, pretty much anything goes. 
Have you seen the offensive number plates? Okay. So long as it's not actively offensive, pretty much anything goes. So I think in the UK, there are certain rules about what a number plate must be. And you can't just have literally a word. And so people sometimes have number plates that look like words, but they've substituted in numbers for letters and so on. Whereas in Hong Kong, you can literally say, I would like the number plate Pikachu. And they'll be like, okay, here you go. All letters. All letters. Trademarked by the Pokemon company. No one cares. But you have a kind in the UK. You did have a kind in the UK. Yes. Never thought about getting your... Uh, no. <laughs> Why? Why would I get one? Why not? <laughs> I'm sorry. I was about to say something really ridiculous. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it anyway because I can't say that. Why not just get a big butt tattooed on your face? <laughs> <laughs> Those two things aren't related. It's just an equally random statement. Do you know I have a custom registration plate? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> what does it say? T18 and my surname. <laughs> really? Do you also know that it's in storage because I don't have a card to put it on? <laughs> so I have to put it on, put it in reserve. I have to pay a reservation fee for it. Is this in Hong Kong? No, it's in the UK. <laughs> this is even more amazing. I did not know that. I did not know that at all. I just think it's ridiculous that I have this. I feel I have to share it with you. I think that's great. I think you should have had, like, you should totally get Mr. T. You should totally get Mr. T now you're in Hong Kong. I can get you Sir Mike. I don't want to get you Sir Mike. It would be quite expensive, I'm sure. I'm sure that would be quite expensive. I'm trying to think of other silly... Po- we should get a double plate for the podcast. We should get, like... A car for the podcast. Let's not get a car for the podcast. Let's get... <laughs> what are some classic number plates that you've seen in Hong Kong? Actually, I don't remember the number plate. I'm not a... You know, you're the one who shares the number plates. Yeah, That's... I actually take photos when I see a funny number plate. I take photos and I put them on my blog. Do you have any that you remember? Okay, so some of my favourites. I saw a taxi that had the number plate taxi. I've seen a taxi that had the number plate triple X as well, like XXX. That was pretty cool. Would you get in that taxi? Yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting for a taxi for half an hour, man. I'm not going to be picky. Uh, I feel like this taxi served a dual purpose, and I don't want to be in, in that taxi. Yeah, that's probably true. I've seen the number plate a car. I've literally seen Pikachu, and it was on a bright yellow Ferrari. Yeah, there's loads of these. I saw one today that was actually like an emoji. It wasn't actually an emoji, but you know when people like handcraft emojis out of like regular letters and numbers? So it was like two sixes, kind of like eyes, and a U, like a smiley face. And it was actually arranged like on the upper line, six space six, and on the lower line, U. Which is actually kind of weird, because is the number plate six six U or is the number plate six U six? I've had to report it for a crime. It should be six U six. They should be on the same line. Well, it's not. So it looks like a smiley face. Imagine getting run over by that car. So you don't have a custom number plate in Hong Kong? No. Do you have a car in Hong Kong? No. Ah. But it won't stop me. I can just buy a plate and just say, reserve it. What would you get now that you're unfettered by the rules? I don't want to be that person. I'm always, I never want to be that person. I never want to be that person. But you already are. No, but it's, I didn't buy it myself. Oh, it was a gift? Yeah. Oh, who got that for you? My dad. Oh, that's cute. 
he's actually saying that he wants a number plate from you. He has a number plate as well. <laughs> this is so good. Is it equally amazing? Yes, yeah, the same idea. Yeah. Okay. It's just a lucky thing to do. I mean, does anyone in your extended family have one? I think they do actually. It's just lucky. Is it? Lu- yeah. They they also have eight eight eight, and then their surname. This is a very Chinese thing to do, I guess. Yeah. I've just got one eight. Literally one eight. You can add that to list. Something else you need to buy, <laughs> along with an espresso machine. You were disappointed today. You came in. Uh, and I said, oh, do you want a coffee? And you were like, yeah. And I was like, is instant okay? And you're like, I thought you were getting an espresso machine. But aren't you? I haven't got an espresso machine yet. It's fine. You don't need to. Let's move on. Okay. What have you been up to this week? I've actually just been watching Netflix. I've been kind of tired. I've been weirdly tired this week. You know what, actually? I think it's largely psychosomatic, but... I've been in two meetings where people have just like coughed without covering their mouths. They've just been literally just sat and just coughed at me without covering their mouths. This is not okay. Don't they listen to this? If they do, let it be known that I'm judging you. You can't just like cough in a meeting without covering your mouth. That's rude. Rude, man. I mean, I didn't say it at the time because I thought it would cause a scene. But anyway, whether or not their coughing has infected me with illness... I've been extremely tired and I've just randomly just been coming home and watching Netflix. How has that been for you? Netflix, for some reason, recommended me... What's the name of this movie? The romantic rom-com thing they made? It's so romantic? That sounds good to me. And it seems kind of random because mostly what I watch on Netflix is Star Trek and cooking shows. But for some reason it thought I would like this rom-com... And they were totally right. <laughs> I watched the, you know, it auto plays the trailer. And usually I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. Add it to my list and I never watch it. And this time I was like, yeah, I'm watching this now. Boop. <laughs> I'm just a sucker for anything where people spontaneously just break out into song and dance. So randomly breaking out into dance, what else do you need? I don't know. It just, it just seemed really fun. Have you ever seen The Sweetest Thing? No. The sweetest thing is another, like, completely ridiculous movie where they just spontaneously break out into dance. I remember going to the cinema with university friends and we had the choice of watching either Rain of Fire or The Sweetest Thing. And we went to watch Rain of Fire and it was kind of lacklustre. And there was this one guy who was saying, we should go and watch The Sweetest Thing. And we were like, it's a rom-com, it's not going to be any good. Anyway... The next week, we went to watch The Sweetest Thing because it was the only thing left we hadn't seen. It was like a thousand times better than Rain of Fire. It made me realise that actually I really love movies where people spontaneously break out into dance and song. I feel that's like what you're doing wrong in life. You're watching too much sci-fi. Secretly, secretly I should watch more rom-coms. Yes. (laughs) There There was literally a bit in the movie where she you've seen it too right yeah i've seen it too (laughs) minor spoilers for this film where she stands up on stage and she's doing karaoke and she hates karaoke because it's so embarrassing but she feels she has to stand up and sing this karaoke song to get you know the guy and the waitress trips over the microphone cable or no the backing track cable so she's just singing really quietly and she's like maybe a little bit out of tune and it's so cringy And you think, oh, this is so embarrassing. But then 
just as it's like getting to maximum cringe these other three ladies like pop out and just join in the song and then the waitress plugs the backing track back in and it all just bursts into like perfectly choreographed dance i may have cried a little (laughs) tears of joy (laughs) i think secretly this is what i wish my life was like this is why i'm perpetually disappointed but she has a good life she does that (laughs) so it's fine does she have a good life she has a good life after she ends up in the coma sorry spoilers (laughs) it's a straight to netflix movie please Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. We're a book club for games. And today we are. It's been a while, actually. Can I add something else? Yeah. April has said, it's never today. More than half the time, it's not today. (laughs) Well, April, you are technically correct, which is the best kind of correct. But today, you're wrong, (laughs) which is my favourite kind of wrong. I have with me tonight, Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Timothy. And today, we're going to talk about Celeste. This came out in January last year, 25th of January. 25th January 2018. Metacritic scores 88 on PC, 91 on PS4, 92 on Nintendo Switch, and 94 on Xbox. It's quite spread. Uh, It's okay. I mean, they're all good, regardless of which platform you play it on. True. I mean, as per usual, this is when I started taking notice of Celeste. You know, the second you get near 95, I'm paying attention. I guess they are actually fairly tightly clustered. It just feels like 88 and 94 are quite distant, but it's not that big a deal. But something you've always mentioned is because the... depends on like the number of views you get. Because the more reviews you have, the more likely, unfortunately, you'll get pulled down. And Xbox has, doesn't have so many reviews these days. <laughs> who's playing Xbox? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Sorry, I'm mentally going down some rabbit hole about the correct way to aggregate review scores, but conversation for another day. Yeah, we can build our own. Maybe we should. Maybe we should do some development. Open Critic is a a side project for a bunch of developers, and it's not a, a company yet. But their attitude is everyone is... Everyone's a critic. And everyone's weighted equally, unlike Metacritic, which has some secret algorithm. Obviously, everyone knows Mike's algorithm is the best. 100% waiting to Mike's opinion. Well, maybe 95. Thinking can have 5%. And I'll give that 5% to the people, so it's, it's all fair. So what is Celeste? Indie darling platform game made by Matt Makes Games. Nominated at the Game Awards and the Dice Awards. And in fact, won several categories. Indie Game of the Year. The Audience Award. 
action game of the year. Game for impact. So how should we do this? How should we start? We should start by saying, spoilers for Celeste. Spoilers for Celeste! We'll be spoiling the story, such as it is, and more importantly, from my perspective, we'll be spoiling a number of the secrets, which I would say matter more, but we'll get to that in a minute. So why don't you start? I want to start with the music. I think it was particularly interesting. I know I said you start, but I'm going to jump in. <laughs> I knew what that's what you meant. It's fine. That when we went through these notes, I had written nothing about the music. And you, who usually has nothing to say about the music, had put as your first statement that you really liked the music. I just thought it was an interesting reversal from our usual roles. I thought you'd. You, I thought it was just a prompt, and you would just add a ton to my comment. So to be clear, I didn't dislike the music. I thought the music was good, but I feel there's only so much any one person can say. And I guess I used up all my budget on things other than the music. But do you think it's more than serviceable, or do you just simply think, oh, it's serviceable? I don't need to comment. I think in my long list of notes that I made as I was playing the game I did comment on the music and I did say you know there are certain points where the music is really fitting or where like layers of music come in as you progress I mean the music was very good I just didn't think it was the most important thing I mean do you have any particular moments in the music you want to call out or any particular aspects of the music to call out well because you're climbing a mountain I'm hoping that bit's obvious so you, there is a journey and then there's like the, the beginning, middle and end. And I think the music helps you along that. So, you know, you start and it's very hopeful and it's very cheery. And even towards the end, it, there's a, it builds up to a climax. Yeah, definitely in that last section, the music feels very appropriate. I also really like the music when you have to complete the challenge to get the B-side tapes. Because those challenges always involve these blue and pink blocks and they kind of switch on the beat of the music. And I thought that was very nicely done too. I mean, the music is quite interesting because it's kind of like chip tunes, but it's not like 8-bit lo-fi chip tunes. It's kind of like 32-bit chip tunes. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. I think that's well put. Yeah, it's like the 8-bit music, but with a bit more colour, much more colour. The same way that Deltarune has somehow managed to do the same with graphics. Oh, you're trying to get the Undertale Deltarune reference in. You know that's the way to my heart. make a start a real start now well if you ask me what is celeste like what actually matters about celeste i think there's kind of like three key aspects to it there's the gameplay there's the story and then there's the secrets and i think those three aspects of the game are 
the things that really make the game. So what should we start with? So, I mean, I would just go in that order and say, you know, the gameplay, what is the gameplay? I mean, I mentioned it's a platformer, but this is the third platformer in a row we've played, right? So we did Super Mario Brothers, we did Super Mario Brothers 3, and this is a very different kind of platformer to the Mario games. So when you're walking, you don't really have any momentum to speak of. You instantly start and you instantly stop. But your jumps are still very refined. You can steer them in the air. And you also have a dash. In the air. Well, on the ground or in the air. So it kind of, in some ways, is like having a double jump. But it's not. Because when you jump, you can steer it. When you dash, you dash in one of like the eight compass directions. And you can't steer that at all. And that imposes a lot of restrictions on your movement and actually makes the game a lot like a puzzle game, figuring out when to dash because you can only dash once until your feet touch solid ground again. So deciding when to use your one air dash really matters and also deciding which of the eight directions is the direction you should air dash in. But also there's climbing and that's there's a stamina meter off of that. An invisible stamina meter. Yeah, that's another kind of unexpected thing because when you think about a platform game, jumping is common, even having some kind of air mobility is common, but I think it is relatively unusual in a game to literally be able to just climb straight up a vertical wall. But you can in this game, within limits. You will start to get tired and your character will flash and then you'll slide down the wall again. So learning what the limitations are of your climbing ability when there isn't an overt stamina meter, that's one of the things you just have to learn as the game progresses. And then I guess one of the elegant things about the design, the indicator about whether you can dash or not is your character's hair colour. So you are controlling a woman called Madeline and she has red hair, but after you use her dash, her hair becomes blue. And it's very obvious at a glance to tell whether you've used your dash or not. And given all this, it's fair to say that it's a challenging game? To say it's a challenging game is to put it lightly. Like, I think at times it's actually obnoxiously hard. I'm surprised you say this. I thought you would just... <laughs> I'd be like, oh, it's easy. You just need to get good. Yeah, no, it is It is the sort of game where you say, oh, you just need to get good, right? It is... I'm going to use a term that's used far, far, far too much. The Dark Souls of platform games, right? Everyone just compares everything to Dark Souls now. When when people make a game that is unapologetically difficult, it just gets called the Dark Souls of something. But this is a game that is hard and it isn't sorry about it. It's just, it is that difficult. But there is an assist mode. So did you use the assist mode? No, I couldn't even tell you what, I'm not even sure what options there are. So I knew the assist mode existed before I started playing because I actually watched an episode of a YouTube series called Game Maker's Toolkit, which was specifically about Celeste's assist mode and assist modes in games in general. So I was aware of this before I started. I didn't use it on my actual game, but I did make a second save file and I enabled it for that. Is there a reason for that? I think when you turn it on, 
it marks your save file as being an assist mode save file. So I didn't really want to do it on my main save file. I wanted to kind of be able to proudly state that I did the game, you know, as intended. And I, I think when you turn on assist mode, it actually says the game is hard and that's how it's intended to be played. But if the difficulty of the game genuinely means you can't enjoy it, then assist mode is provided so you can enjoy the game. And so I actually tried this after I completely, well, I say completely finished the game. After I finished the game to my satisfaction, I made a new save file and turned on assist mode. I mean, the interesting thing about assist mode is that it doesn't prevent you from earning achievements. I'm saying this just based on other people's statements because there are no achievements on the Switch version, which is the version I was playing. Not even inside the game. Not even inside the game. But assist mode gives you really quite fine-grained controls to make the game more approachable. The main one being you can literally adjust the speed of the game. So the game is a lot about making very precise jumps in often very small time windows. And so a way to make the game much more approachable is to literally run the game at like 80% speed. And you can actually turn it all the way down to 50% speed. Other things you can do in assist mode are make yourself invincible. So there are usually deadly spikes. It's always spikes or similar obstacles throughout the game. And you can make it just so that touching those is the same as touching an ordinary platform. Plus, normally you get one air dash and towards the end of the game, you actually get two. But with assist mode, you can just air dash forever. So you can literally be like Superman and zip around the stage. That does sound fun. It is quite fun. I <laughs> I played the first level at 50% speed with invincibility and infinite air dashes. And I was just like, going, woo, fly around, get all the strawberries. It did make the game much easier. So if you were to turn assist mode up to 11 and just play through the game like that, yeah, the game would be completely broken. And I don't think you should do that. But it's there as an option if you choose to. So beyond those basic jumping and dashing mechanics, the game also has a very elegant progression. Each new stage introduces at least one new mechanic, and often there will be a mechanic that is unique to that stage. For example, there will be kind of these zip blocks or I'm not sure if they have an official name but they're kind of blocks that start out dormant and act like platforms and then you kind of activate them by looking in this magic mirror and releasing your alter ego and then at that point if you dash into those blocks you kind of shoot straight through to the other side and those blocks only exist in one of the stages or in the next stage there are these bubbles that kind of give you an extra dash but it's not a dash you can use anywhere. It just pops you into the bubble and then shoots you out with similar kind of mechanics to your air dash. So it's like a restricted air dash. And then later on, again, you kind of get these feathers and then they give you the ability to fly freely for a short time at least. And so on and so on and so on. There are many of these mechanics that are unique to each particular stage. I mean, do you have anything to say? Did you always think this? When I, sp when I spoke to you... The when you had just played the first parts of the game, I didn't feel like you were so positive. Yeah, I guess I couldn't see where it was going to go, right? Because what makes Celeste 
interesting. What makes Celeste not just a very derivative platform game like we were talking about making and um, I think they introduce all of these mechanics but none of them outstays its welcome they they use each of them to the fullest but they don't really like ham it up or labor it each new mechanic kind of works well with the basic jumping and dashing mechanics and they use them to showcase a bunch of well really very elegant kind of puzzles but puzzles both of i can't think what the word is but like you know how do i do this and then also of execution like how do i do this logically in terms of what sequence of moves will get me to the next screen and then executing on that sequence which is itself a challenge so they really explore each of the mechanics very well. And by the end, it felt like I had gained a, a, like a tool set. It's a really sad way of saying it, if you know what I mean. No, I think that is the right way to put it. Yeah, in the same way that in Witness, you, you sort of, you've gained a base set of skills which you can just apply to anything. Yeah, you see a bubble or a feather or a zip block and you you know how to use that. But even when it's multi-staged or them even when there are multiple elements to a screen you'll still know how to apply them together except at the core when it goes off screen and you have no idea how to react at the last minute oh the core i mean we'll get to the core later i think the funny thing about the core as well is it's one of the very few times in the game where they must have either decided through their own personal opinion or through playtesting that it was not obvious that a mechanic existed because there's a bit in the core where the bird comes down and it goes car and it actually pops up a little icon saying what you should press because it's not obvious that you can do something i think it's the core where this happens you go through one of the zip blocks and you can jump as you exit a zip block yeah you wouldn't know that yeah it's not immediately obvious that as you exit a zip block you can actually jump and get height rather than just flopping out the end and so the bird actually has to appear and tell you that again maybe it's not the core maybe it's the summit still it's towards the end of the game lastly the collectibles yeah the strawberries which are totally optional i think it's fine does it actually say they're totally optional yes you do them to impress your friends that's what it says in one loading screen it's lying they it's a lie you can still finish the game and not collect any strawberries. You lied to me, game. This is a lie the game tells you to try and make you feel better about yourself. Do you need strawberries? If we have low self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. This cut too close. This cut too close to reality. Yeah, that's actually true, yeah. The strawberries do affect the ending. So... I think if the strawberries were genuinely just to impress your friends, then the strawberries would just be a number. But the strawberries affect the ending. To me, that isn't just to impress your friends. To me, the strawberries then are what any collectible is in any of these games. Right? Like, if the strawberries genuinely did nothing other than be a number, then to me that would mean they're meaningless. But at the end of the game, you get a very brief, it's even a cutscene, it's a picture with some conversational text on it. And that picture and the conversation 
does depend on the number of strawberries you get. And there are certain breakpoints. I think zero strawberries gets you the most ridiculous one where isn't this supposed to be a strawberry pie? Where are the strawberries? And then there's other breakpoints for like up to 50 or up to 100 or up to 150. So something like that. And each of those is slightly different. So it's not very much, but it is something. And I agree with you. All right. And then very finally on the gameplay standpoint, because this is only kind of tangentially gameplay. How did you actually play the game? I mean, we already mentioned offhand that I played it on the Switch. You played it on... PC? Which is the lowest rated of the platforms. Just kidding. But the cheapest of the platforms. Very smart. And you used what kind of controller? PS4 controller. Excellent choice. On the Switch, do you get to choose between analog or D-pad? They both just work. Which one did you use? So I actually started out using the Pro Controller with the analog stick. And then at some point I found that Maybe I'm just getting old, but I would just randomly dash in completely the wrong direction. Like I would find myself like dashing down, like straight into pits and stuff. Cause I guess my thumb must have been pointing very slightly toward that direction. And because you can only dash in one of the eight compass directions. Anyway, it was extremely frustrating. So I changed to the D pad and that was much better than the analog stick, but. I actually started to find that I was still unable to execute because even with the D-pad, I think the resting position of my thumb was often still pointing in an unexpected direction. And in the end, I actually switched to using the Joy-Cons. So I started playing the game literally with the two Joy-Cons and using the Joy-Con left D-pad, which is four distinct buttons. But I liked that way more. I just found it was so much more precise. And then after that, I had no more problems. It's really funny, though, because I think a lot of people say that the Joy-Con D-pad is terrible because it's literally four distinct buttons. But it's really good for Tetris. (laughs) It's really good for Tetris, too. Yeah, I think the experience of using it for this made me realize that that D-pad, for some things, it's bad because it's not very fluid. But for other things, it's perfect because it's very precise. And this is one of those games Should we move on to the story? For someone who doesn't appreciate the story, you have a lot to say about it. You're putting words in my mouth there. Who said I didn't appreciate the story? Uh, Okay. What do you think about the story first? Tell me your impression of the story. And maybe you'll convince me that I'm wrong anyway. But you know what? I mean, I... So it's the story of a girl, woman, lady, who's looking to ascend the mountain. Which is called Celeste. The mountain is called Celeste. Yes. 
Which surprised me. I thought she would be called Celeste. I thought she was going to be called Celeste too, actually. I was really surprised when it was Celeste Mountain and she was called Madeline. But yeah. So she starts off on this journey, but she doesn't know really know why. She starts to question herself why she's taking this journey. And there's, she comes across the old lady, also challenges her. And as you progress up the mountain, she comes across Theo, who's there. I don't know what's the purpose of Theo. It's almost just for exposition. He's there so she doesn't have to talk to herself. Which is okay. Or I guess he's got his own spin on the story too. Like he's climbing the mountain for his own reasons. But again, he's kind of like lost. You know, what's he doing with his life and decides to climb the mountain. And there are bits of the mountain where it kind of manifests your fears and his are different to hers. And that's the first moment when you think, oh, This story is quite interesting because the mountain has manifested Madeline's fears into... Uh, I mean, I've been calling her Badeline, her alter ego. Isn't that what she's called? That's I think. Does she have an official name? Oh, I don't know if it's an official name. Okay. And, you know, maybe that's how her self-doubt is characterised. She chases her through a chapter. So at that point, it all came together. I mean, you were probably going to say this says more about me than it says about the story but i think i mean I, and i guess it's a very personal thing like what is your own experience with self-doubt or what is your own experience with you know like i think i told you i do have imposter syndrome and you found this very hard to believe because i appear to be such a <laughs> ludicrous character at times but you know i'm not infinitely self-confident i have plenty of self-doubt but i think my own feelings or the way it manifests in my own psychology I guess, for me, this didn't really land. And I guess, you know, I think it is just because everybody is different. And so, yeah, for me, challenges of depression or self-doubt or whatever, they didn't feel like this. They felt horrible, but in different ways. And I think also the way it told the story for me, I found it, I found it hard to connect because you had these like very lo-fi pixel graphics and then you had these nice kind of hand-drawn, high-fidelity, but very cartoony portraits. And I, I guess I was just very confused about the weird juxtaposition of, like, real-world versus fantasy stuff. Because, like, how old is Madeline meant to be, right? Like, I think when I started playing the game, I assumed Madeline was meant to be, like, a young teen or something. But then you later find out that she's mid-twenties and she has a drinking problem. Right. And it's like, again, for me, the whole thing just didn't really gel properly because, as I said, such a juxtaposition of art styles and and everything. I just couldn't mentally picture her as a character, I think, properly because she looked like, you know, a traditional platforming hero heroine. And I couldn't think of her properly as a real person. I don't know. It just didn't quite work for me. Plus... You know, you have this very real story about how she drove to the mountain alone to climb this like very dangerous thing with all her self-doubts, with her drinking problem. And yet she has this super air dash ability and her hair color changes and everything. And like no one comments on that. It's just very weird. The disconnect between a quite serious and real world characterization and story and the completely fantastical journey up the mountain with literally no explanation for why they don't even try to 
make those two things mesh better. I'm probably being way too harsh on it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it should. It should, maybe it should have made more of an attempt to distance itself from reality because you know there are a lot of game mechanics which are quite fantastical as you ascend the mountain. Fishes that charge you. That makes no sense. Are they fishes? I thought they just. Generic Cthulhu-esque monsters. No, the, the guide I read said fishes. You used a guide? You yeah. may as well have just used a cis mode. No, I'm kidding. You're right. So uh, there are moments when it just totally goes off-piste. I mean, when the hotel owner is chasing you, that's weird, if I'm honest. Well, I think you're right too. And I think when when you point out things like you know, your alter ego is chasing you and that's like you being unable to escape from, you know, your self-doubt. Or later on you try and leave your self-doubt behind, but that actually makes things worse. And it's only when you accept your self-doubt that gives you the strength to, you know, make it. I think, although maybe a bit heavy-handed, you know, those are, those were nice, like, ways to present, you know, the struggle. But, I don't know. I think I think it's a game where the story is secondary to the game. I think I think you do often need a story to hang the game on. Well, you don't always need a story to hang the game on. Like Tetris doesn't need a story. Right. And I think again like certain puzzle games, they don't really need a story, but having a good story can actually really help as a framework for the game. And I think this is a good enough story to hang the game on and it's a very appropriate story but i don't think the story is the game no but it's better than rescuing the princess in the castle yes for sure one last thing there is one moment when they really just talk about depression explicitly with theo how did you feel about that is this the really long conversation where you weirdly get to choose both Theo's and Madeline's responses. I found that bit really odd, actually. I was thinking, who am I in this game? Am I both of them? I did make copious notes in my actual playthrough notes about that section. And and that's when, you know, that's when I caught the bit where Madeline says she has a drinking problem. And it's like, wait, how old is Madeline? (laughs) And Theo has similar issues. He talks about having soul-crushing jobs but i got the impression again like theo's soul-crushing jobs were like meaningless jobs they it, sound, were, did, it sounded like he was a, he was an engineer oh you think that's what it sounded like to me but that's not so important i don't know you may be right maybe theo is in there for people who can't relate to madeline because they are <laughs> software engineers <laughs> but i didn't pick up on that I thought it was a bit explicit in that it has to be so drawn out. It was okay. I mean, it never got too cringy. So that's a plus. That's a plus still. Yeah, the story the story was by no means bad. And the story was by no means ineffective. And, you know, I am particularly calling out the story as one of the pillars of the game. It just wasn't, like, the best of the pillars. But being the weakest of one of three very good things holding up the game is not a bad thing. 
to finally secrets and surprises. This game has a lot of secrets. This is definitely a game where the how long to beat guide for main story versus full completion. I mean, it's very important that you have two distinct categories because they are wildly different. If you were to go for full completion and you didn't have the internet, I think it would take you a really long time because as much as getting through the game is about mechanical execution and logic of when to use your jumps, to get 100% completion, you need to find these crystal hearts and the crystal hearts are generally hidden behind puzzles. What? What's the pur- what's the purpose of the crystal hearts? So there's a secret final chapter. Actually, it's not really secret, but a post-game final chapter called the core. And to get into the core, you need four crystal hearts. And then to get into the core's B side, I think you need is it fifteen crystal hearts? And then to get into the core's C side. I think you need 23 crystal hearts. So, wait, I thought there were only two crystal hearts per chapter. No, there's three. So, there are the blue crystal hearts, which are hidden. And until you find one, there's no indication that they exist. And then, if you complete the B side for a stage, you get a red crystal heart. And if you complete the C side for a stage, you get a yellow crystal heart. So the crystal hearts are used to unlock the core and the various iterations of it. And, you know, after I finished the game and then tried the core and realized I needed these crystal hearts to get in, I then went back and decided to try and get the crystal heart, well, for world one to begin with. So I started that level and I went through it and I was much more meticulous and I managed to get all the strawberries, but I didn't see the crystal heart. I did see some weird thing with like a satellite dish and some birds and I thought that must be a clue to the crystal heart but I assumed it was a clue I had to use somewhere else and then I looked it up on the internet because I couldn't resist and it's the 21st century man that's what you do so how far did you get on your own did you make it to the satellite dish yeah I made it to the satellite dish on my own but you couldn't work out how to generate the pattern well I saw these birds who were kind of like coming together and flying out in different directions. And I saw the screen that was flashing different colors, but I had just assumed that I would have to somehow use that knowledge somewhere else. Like somewhere else there would be like a key or that, that was like the master key and somewhere else there would be somewhere to enter that key. And it wasn't obvious to me that spoilers here. I had to dash in the directions that the birds kind of, flew out in based on the color of the bird in the sequence that the monitor was flashing like that was not obvious to me that that was the lock as well as the key and so i did look it up and i was like oh it's there i do it right there i i I would have said you you had done the hard bit because i couldn't find the satellite but once i found satellite i knew what to do but it's different because the guide said go to the satellite and then i knew i had to work do something in that yeah, I found the satellite and it was immediately obvious to me that this was something special. And I actually wrote down the colours that the monitor blinks and the directions of the birds because it was pretty obvious to me that I was going to have to use it somewhere. But I didn't realise that that somewhere was right there. And when you do the dashes in the correct sequence, the heart appears. 
And then I was like, great, I've got one. And now I'm going to just do the B-side. And I did the B-side and I got the red heart. And the B-sides, in a way, for me, were way more relaxing. Because there are no strawberries and there's no optional side paths. And it's purely about execution. And so I just executed the B-side and got the red heart. So not as hard as the core. Not as hard as Well, the B-side for level one for level two were not as hard as the core. And those are the two B-sides I have done. And I must confess, I also looked up where to get the blue crystal heart for the second level as well. Because, again, I played through it looking for the blue crystal heart. And I got all the strawberries. And I had absolutely no idea where the heart was. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, again, it was very clever. It was a logic puzzle, but a completely different kind of logic puzzle. Because you need to notice that when you enter or exit a screen, your dash recharges, even if you are in the air. And so you can effectively air dash by zigging and zagging between two screens straight up. And that takes you to a place with a crystal heart. The only other crystal heart I've got was another Easter egg. I guess, arguably, this crystal heart is quite unfair because it's a reference to Super Mario 3. So in, I think, the fourth stage, like Golden Ridge or something, there's a white block. And if you crouch on that white block, just like in Super Mario 3, you will kind of fall behind the foreground and you can use these platforms in the background to get up to the heart. Which I thought was super neat. Just because I had played Super Mario Brothers 3 and I kind of... Yeah, and you see, now you can appreciate all these gaming Easter eggs. There's another Easter egg based on that too, with the strawberries. Do you know this one-up achievement? So, when you get a strawberry, I don't know if you've noticed, but touching the strawberry is not enough. The strawberry will follow you until you are standing on safe ground. So you can't just like run and jump up and like just touch the strawberry and then just fall in some spikes and die. That won't count as you collecting the strawberry. You actually have to be standing on completely solid ground that is completely safe, in inverted commas, before the strawberry will be added to your inventory. But that means that if you collect a strawberry and never stand on safe ground for long enough to trigger collection of the strawberry, you could have multiple strawberries following you at once. Did you ever have that? Yeah, I did a couple of times. And I don't know if you've noticed, but when a strawberry is collected, you get a thousand points. What does that even mean? There's no score in this game, right? Yes. If you collect two strawberries, the second strawberry is worth 2000 points. And if you collect, I think, six strawberries in one go, the sixth strawberry will say one up instead. And you get an achievement if you're playing on a platform with achievements. So again, it's a cool Easter egg. And so, yeah, as mentioned, there's loads and loads and loads to do in this game if you want to really 100% it. And, you know, I I didn't. I, I played the core A side. I haven't done the core B side. I haven't got all the blue crystal hearts. I haven't done all the B-sides. I haven't unlocked the C-sides. I just know they exist. And there's also golden strawberries, which you get by completing a level without dying even once. And a super secret 
flying golden strawberry, which you get by completing the first level without using your dash ability even once. So, you know, tons of secrets that will grossly extend the playtime of the game. And then did you notice the poem you can make with the blue and red hearts? I didn't get any red hearts. I don't think there is a secret associated with this, but it definitely feels like there should be. Like, this feels like the sort of thing where one day there'll be a minor patch of a Celeste that secretly adds some crazy ultra secret. In the journal, when you've collected a blue or a red heart, it has a line of text associated with it, and you can actually rearrange the hearts on the journal page that shows, you know, the heart collection and effectively make a poem out of those lines of text or something. So as far as anybody knows, it doesn't do anything, but it feels like the sort of thing where if you put them in the right order to tell a story or to tell a poem or something, it will unlock some crazy thing. But I don't believe it does. But there are 20, 24 hearts, lines to get? I think 16, because it's only the red and blue hearts. Okay. And then the final major secret is the original Celeste. So Celeste, as it is today, is actually a remake of a Pico 8 game that was made for a game jam, I think. And Pico 8 is a kind of virtual super lo-fi games console. So a company called Lexalofl Games had, you know, made these two kind of virtual game consoles. Pico 8 is one, and then Voxatron is the other. And you can make games for them and exchange them on this, like, BBS system. I don't know, it's kind of, like, super old school and quirky. So, yes, the original Celeste game was made for Pico 8. And it's actually hidden in this game. In the hotel level, actually. If you go to the laundry room, you can actually find a computer. And when you use the computer, it boots up the Pico 8 version of the game. Is it hidden, the computer? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's hidden. I think you have to, like, dash through a ceiling or something to find it. I mean, I found it organically. I didn't look this up. I didn't know it existed. And it was the cause of a completely disastrous night of low sleep for me. Because I was... <laughs> Everything's an excuse. <laughs> yeah, any excuse for me. Because... For the first three levels, I actually just played them through in one sitting and I didn't realise that it kind of saved your progress. So I had started the hotel level and then I found the Pico 8 and then I was like, oh, I can't stop now. And so I played through the entirety of the Pico 8 version of the game and then finished the hotel level as well. So that particular level took me ages and I actually only started playing at like half 11 because the first stage had only taken me 30 minutes and I thought oh it's not too bad I'm sure I can play half an hour and then like like 90 minutes later still going through the level that was a mistake but again cool easter egg how much of this did you do? I, what do you mean? like you're asking me how many crystal hearts I got how many strawberries well just did you engage much with the secrets? Do you enjoy secrets? I think I've said previously that I really enjoy these kind of surprises in games. Do I enjoy secrets? Yes. Do I need secrets? No. So if I had come across the Pico 8 version, I would have 
played it for like five minutes and I would have moved on. I would not, I wouldn't have been compelled to finish it, which is what you did. I think I didn't realise how long it was. And then what, you, you felt you had to finish it. It, it was sunk cost fallacy because I thought it was going to be like five, ten minutes long. And it just kept going and it kept getting harder too. And then I was like, it, I actually did almost reach breaking point. I did almost get to a point where I thought, this is too hard. I'm just going to stop. But I didn't. It, it was really riding that point of being too hard. But I persevered and I finished it. But it, it did take me 36 minutes and 394 deaths to finish the Pico 8 version. Does it feel a lot like Celeste? Yeah, I mean, it re- it feels like Celeste. You can see they are, you know, the Celeste we've got now is just a much refined version of that original game. Could you have made it in a game jam? I guess. I, you know what? I really don't know. I really don't know. I think I actually just don't know how to make a platform game. I think this is the thing that's really hamstringing our... <laughs> coding progress at the moment because we just don't know how to make games <laughs> i just look at unity and i stare at it and i i know there's the platform game tutorials and stuff but i just don't like the way that the kind of default unity platformers feel but i'm also completely mentally blank about how to make something that does feel how i think a platformer should feel and so i end up just staring at the screen and going down you know this black hole of thought and coming up with nothing and thinking oh, i'll just watch a rom-com on netflix So, shall we just talk about some memorable moments and some specific points in the game? Yes. So, we'll start off with the resort. For all the positives I have about the the enemies in this game, I wasn't a fan of Mr. Oshiro just chasing me. You really don't like being chased, full stop. I think the two bits of the game that you've had the most trouble with are bits where enemies chase you. Because in chapter two, I'm being chased already, right? Well, you're kind of more in control there, though. You're being chased by, you know, your alter ego, but she's mirroring your moves. So I- if you if you get hit, it's kind of your fault because you crossed your own path, right? Which I thought was quite clever. But here, this guy was just chasing me. Not a fan. Any particular reason? I thought when you had Badalyn chase you in the... In chapter two, I thought it was really clever because it was, oh, the manifestation of my self-doubt, blah, blah, blah. Mr. Shiro, he's, he's a ghost. Yes. And then he becomes a... Like a vampire or something. (laughs) That really doesn't fit the narrative. 
I don't think I had this negative reaction that that you had. I actually made no specific notes about how I felt about this, but you know, now that you bring it up, I think it was kind of unnecessary. Did it add that much to the level? I don't know. And for instance, he has this inner monologue, which you get. Was that was that necessary? I don't know. I thought that was quite nice. I mean, that's that's like him expressing his own self doubt. Like his own self of self worth is so tied to the hotel and the success of the hotel, right? About it being the best hotel, and then the reaction between like him trying to upsell the hotel or get Madeline to stay at the hotel and Madeline wanting to move on, but at the same time not wanting to be rude and trying to please everyone. I thought that was quite good. You know what? This, you know what? This, this is a part of the game that maybe did speak to me, where Madeline's trying to get everyone on board and build consensus, and then at some point she just can't take it anymore because other people are idiots, and then Madeline comes out and is like, your hotel sucks. It's a dump. <laughs> and then your nemesis comes out and tries to chase you like a vampire. <laughs> I mean, I also had quite a lot to say about this particular level. I found this level really hard. I found this level so much harder than the previous two levels, and also so much harder than the level that came after it, too. In level two, which came prior, I had 72 deaths. And in level four, which came after, I had 289. But in this level, I had 445 deaths, plus the 394 from the Pico 8 version, so... They're tracked separately, but... <laughs> I may have had more deaths than you. I just didn't feel it as much as you. Yeah, I think you had 613, according to these notes. I don't know, I found it really tough. I found myself just... Okay, I mean, the two new mechanics introduced into this level, there are these, like, moving black blobs, and they move. Like, they literally, like, are flying around in patterns. And then there's also these kind of tentacles on the ground or on walls. And when you touch the tentacles, they kind of like blossom into the black blobbiness. And so it's fine to stand on them once. But the second time you try and stand or cling to that part of the level, it will kill you. And I just found myself jumping face first into these black blobs. I just like kept mistiming my jumps and like dashing straight into them or like face planting straight into them or grabbing a wall that I grabbed earlier and just dying. I I just died so many times in this level. So did I. Plus, I think this was the first level where I felt genuinely frustrated that I couldn't go back. So I think... I originally thought Celeste was going to be a very straightforward game of execution. Like, here's the start of the level, get to the end of the level, no branching paths. But there's a ton of branching paths. You have many choices about where you go, and there'll be the main path that leads to the end of the level, and there'll be side paths that just lead to strawberries and then dead end quite quickly. But it's not at all obvious to me I mean, maybe there's some tell in there that I just didn't pick up on. But as far as I can tell, there is no way to know whether you're on a main path or a branch. And I would always try and do the branches to get the strawberries or to get the secrets. But sometimes I would guess wrong and I'd go on the main path and then I couldn't go back. And I'd be like, well, I guess this run is ruined. I can't get all the strawberries then. 
I, I don't know. I find it very frustrating. And it, in particular, this is the first level where I saw a blue crystal heart, but I couldn't go back for it because then I did something and it blocked off the path. And I was like, well, thanks a lot, game. I don't know. This was the first level where I became genuinely frustrated by it. At least in the end, it turns out, if you replay the level, you don't have to play the whole level. There are certain breakpoints and you can just start from one of those. So that's okay, I guess. You talk about being frustrated. I really got frustrated in Chapter 4. So you're introduced to jumping clouds. So you, you can, there's just clouds you can jump off, like, like trampolines, but you have to time the jump. But there are red clouds and you only get one go at the jump. And then there's wind and there are moving blocks. That combination of obstacles really frustrated me. But I never felt it was out of reach, to the game's credit. I think this was the level where I also became annoyed with the controls and switched to the Joy-Cons. So I think this level was a bit of a breaking point slash turning point for me as well. I don't think wind is a good mechanic. <laughs> I just don't, because, you know, you're, you're doing the whole, if I lean to the left, you know, you know when you play Mario Kart, you think you can, if you're leaning to the left or leaning to the right or pressing the button harder, will grant you more acceleration or... Oh, it just made the controls feel really bad. But I kept, I continued, so maybe it was just right. I, I think the implementation of wind in this game is quite strange because it affects your walking, it affects your jumping, but it doesn't affect your air dashing. Like your air dashing just cuts through the wind as if it's not there. And certain other things also seem to be unaffected by wind. Like I, I think there are certain situations like where you bounce in a spring and like you're falling down from the spring. Like, I don't know, there are certain movement combinations where the wind doesn't affect you where you feel like it should and i think it's an interesting side effect of the fact that this game is not a physics-based platformer this is like a traditional kind of rules-based platformer it's calculating your position off like pixel integer calculations or something funny now you've said that it feels like they've made concessions it's like they've tried to make it slightly easier or remove the impact of the wind to make the player's life easier perhaps but it surprised me like the wind not affecting your dash, to me, I can understand. But I think some of the times where I bounced off a spring or something and the wind didn't affect me the way I thought it would, it just confused me. The wind is quite clever, though, because it's not just like there's wind, as in like Super Mario actually haven't played it. The Lost Levels has a wind mechanic, and that's just annoying. But this is interesting because the wind behaves quite predictably. Either like comes in and goes out in like an analog way and you can see it graphically that it's building up and going down again or it's a constant wind but there's multiple levels of strength of the wind so it does allow some relatively subtle new puzzles to be drawn out of the mechanics like for example normally if there is just one vertical wall you can't get that high on it because you can climb it but you run out of stamina and you can't wall jump because you can't jump and turn around fast enough to get back to the wall to kick off it again without losing height but with the wind you can and so there are certain kind of 
new movement options available to you only when the wind is blowing. I I don't know. I thought it was, again, quite an elegant exploration of that mechanic. And, you know, that's the story of the whole game. I say the story. That's that's the gameplay of the whole game. The design of the whole game is not the story, I guess. Next is the Mirror Temple. You hate fish? I'm, I got really frustrated. I got really wound up. You know, when all your muscles are just tense. That's how it felt. And these fish, they just charge you. I really don't think they're fish. I think they're like Thulu monsters, but fine. No, I feel that's better. Yeah, just... <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's call them fish, but for the record, they're the weird monster thing. Cthulhu fish. It's, they just really wound me up. They just charge you, and I don't... I think up to that point, no enemy charges you. Mr. Oshiro does, but you didn't like him either. He just charges you in a straight horizontal line. Yeah, I mean, these actively are chasing you. Yeah. And then there's a moment where I have Theo trapped in a crystal crystal, and having him having to move him along and dodge the Cthulhu fish. Oh. But yet again, I felt it was within me to finish it, to, to progress. I don't know. I really didn't mind this section. I thought the mechanic of carrying Theo was quite unexpected, but fine and kind of interesting because... Because you suddenly have something new to worry about. Like, you getting to the end of the screen is not enough. You have to get Theo to the end as well. Plus, these fish... I I don't know, I just... I think there's, like, some primal fear of things chasing you. But if you get past that, they're not a big deal. Like, the game actually helps you. Like, when they're about to hit you, when they get close, the game actually goes into slow-mo. And you can just jump and bounce off them and it just stuns them for a bit so they're not actually that bad what you said makes sense i thought my pc was playing up at this moment yeah i think that's really funny that you thought it was because of your antivirus or something yeah rather than that because the game was designed in a way to try and make it less stressful you were like this is so stressful even my computer is betraying me (laughs) you see the worst in people ting you see the worst (laughs) It's the gesture that makes it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, you couldn't see that. I was gesticulating at Ting. I will say that there was an unreasonably hard strawberry in this level. So, generally in this game, if I saw a strawberry, I tried to get it. Which is the cause of many of my deaths. And I spent a long time on this one screen trying to get a strawberry where the strawberry is behind like a door and to open the door you have to hit a button and usually you can dash the buttons to activate them but this button was behind spikes and so you couldn't dash it but the fish monster could so you had to do a very precise series of movements such that the fish monster decided to dash at you and you dodged it and it hit the button to give you access to the strawberry and then collect the strawberry. It probably took me dozens of tries to get this. And the game knew it was unreasonably hard because when you finally collect it, Theo actually says, well, now you're just showing off. So I would say that putting that strawberry there was like nerd sniping, you know, like... (laughs) So you went after all the strawberries that you saw? If I saw it, I tried to get it. 
even the the no dash strawberries. Yes. This game was made for you. No. This game was made for this, you. This game is cruel and unusual. This game is this game is like kryptonite to people like me. That's that's the problem. Like I can't say no. I'm like, "Oh, I'm a proper gamer. I can do these things. I'm going to do this optional challenge." It's like it's not just for bragging rights. It's important. It affects the ending. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I suffered. Chapter six, reflection. So at this moment, you come to terms with the manifestation of your self-doubt. Yes. And I thought this was very well done. This time around, you're chasing her. Yeah, she's attacking you and you have to get to her. I thought, you know, there was always a constant momentum to this. And although... She had attacks. She actually had attacks this time. It didn't bother me. Yeah, she's shooting like energy balls at you and kind of like this super laser that charges up and then you have to make sure you're not where she was aiming it. I actually also really liked this level. It was just really high energy. It was like this constant like, you know, you're always moving forward. You're always like chasing her down and she gets to the next screen. You're chasing her down and it gets to the next screen. And... It felt really punchy. And that's really the last test of the game. Oh, I wouldn't say it's the last test of the game. <laughs> of the main game? Well, no, I mean, you, you've got the last level of the core game. I have the core game, that was a bad choice of words. You have, the last... <laughs> you have the summit, and the summit is like the final exam, right? Because the summit forces you to replay all of the mechanics that you've experienced from the start of the game to the finish. It is like a greatest hits and little vignettes of every single level because you reclimb the mountain. But it's never hard. How many deaths do you have on the summit? I don't know. It just I just felt good <laughs> about it rather than... I happen to know because I checked before... About one third of my playtime, excluding the core, so one third of my playtime of the main game, and pretty much half of my deaths are on just this last level. Can we check mine, please? You see, you actually did better than me this time. I got a lot of deaths. What are you talking about? You have 808 deaths, and it took you two hours, 35 minutes to do this level that you said was not a challenge. And you collected five out of 47 strawberries. Strawberry- I wasn't collecting strawberries by now. Yeah, I know. I had 930 deaths. It took me three hours and one minute. But you were collecting strawberries. Yeah, I collected 32 out of 47 strawberries. So I think if I hadn't been going for strawberries, I would have had dramatically fewer deaths and have completed it dramatically faster. But the fact remains, it took us... A long time to finish this level and a lot of deaths. For both of us, this is the most deaths we've had. Maybe it just wasn't excruciatingly painful. I wasn't being chased. Well, I do think it it does feel very good. It's kind of... You get into like a flow state and I think everything conspires to give you this good feeling of like you're climbing the mountain, like you're... 
the music is kind of triumphant and as you ascend to each new section of the mountain like an additional layer can come in onto the music too to like build up the complexity and build up that feeling of ascending towards the crescendo and every 500 meters you complete you get a boost you know like a dramatic animation to show that you're 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 hitting the next checkpoint yeah you grab your alter ego your doppelganger and then she throws you up another 500 meters and then there's the final climb to the summit where there's the 30 flags and each time you touch a new flag marker there's like a burst of confetti and i think for the final i can't remember what flag number it is but when you're near the top there's a set of binoculars or a telescope or something and you can go through it and do this long scroll all the way to the summit and it shows you you know this is the home stretch you know you're so close to having made it and then you do so then there's the ending you make a strawberry pie for everyone and it's different depending on how many strawberries you got but not that different was it satisfying did it give you closure yes i was getting closure as i was counting down the last 10 flags is this a the journey is more important than the ending kind of game i don't know like i i I don't feel like the ending was really that impactful nope but i didn't expect it to be okay and then finally the core so i wasn't expecting this after the summit a new chapter appears called the core it's set one year later, so it's kind of an epilogue. You go and chat to the old lady, and she tells you, you know, it's the heart of the mountain. This is where the mountain's last secrets are. And there's the barrier that's blocked until you have enough crystal hearts. It also introduces a new mechanic. Actually, it's several new mechanics, but it kind of changes the rules of the game. So up until now, your air dash has recharged when your feet touch solid ground. But in the core, your air dash does not recover. The only way to recover your air dash is to touch a green crystal. And that... I don't know if it makes it that much harder or if it just forces you to have to execute correctly first time. Which I guess does make things harder. But I don't think it makes it as much harder as it sounds like it will do. Because most of the time... If you mess up, you're just going to die anyway. The core... Yeah, there's a whole fire and ice mechanic going on. It's a really well-developed... It's a long and very well-developed level. It doesn't feel like it's tacked on at the end as like an extra challenge. It's, it's really like... It's as full-fledged as any of the other levels of the game. And so it's just unusual that it's put after the end of the game after the official end of the game. I think it's because even by the difficult standards of Celeste, they decided that this was a step too far. It's only this hard because the screens are multiple screens. Yeah, the number of things you have to do correctly in a row is high. <laughs> because you'll think you've completed the screen, but there's another 50% to it. You've only done half of it. And then you're learning about the second half of the the puzzle, if you will. And you only can figure it out by correctly executing the first half. And then you get 
one shot like you know you had to do some sequence of like five perfect jumps in order to get your one shot at doing the next 10 perfect jumps correctly and i have one dash left so i think it's put after the end of the game because if it was put before too many people would rage quit without completing the game it's actually quite a cunning thing to do because it's also like, oh, wow, they gave us all this extra content after the game as well. It's like the game's much bigger than you think. But yeah, it is hard as nails. You didn't quite finish it, right? No, I, I got to... There's a point where you get the feather and you have to navigate. And then after that, I think it's the pink and blue platforms and then that's it. But for the purpose of collecting a screenshot... I'd I'm sorry, Ting. I, w- I wanted to give up, really. <laughs> Quit back to the map, and then I, I don't know wh- at what point I've re- I would have restarted, but I didn't want to bother then. Yeah, I think until you completed it once, it will make you do the whole thing again. Oh. And it is, yeah. It, I played through the core in multiple sittings. I did a bit, and then stopped, and did a bit, and then stopped. Like, I did not play through this in one go. And, you know, as hard as it is... There are also B and C sides to the core, which are even harder again, although they require loads more crystal hearts. And as a result, I have not seen them at all. I I think one other thing to to mention about the core then is what it didn't have. So I think I was expecting to get some new nugget of story as a result of the core. I thought it was going to show me some secret of the mountain or some secret about myself and it was going to you know make me see the game in a whole new light and i'd be like oh that's why everyone says the story is so good now i get it but it didn't i think maybe this is just the danger of when you can have unreasonably high expectations of a game because it's been spoken about so much so i'm probably being unfair So, in summary, I read somewhere you put the term design porn. Yeah, I said it's like game design porn, right? Like, it feels like this is a game that game designers are all just gushing over like, oh, it's so amazing, it's so well designed. But you don't agree with them, necessarily. No, I I think I do agree with them. That's why I said it's game design porn. I I, I think I said it offhand earlier on, like, Every mechanic is explored to the fullest. Like, they don't just have a wind section. They have, like, a full exploration of all the ways that wind varies your jumping mechanics and all of the kind of new things you can experience as a result of there being a wind mechanic just in one level, and then it's gone. And then in the next level, there'll be like the feather and there'll be a full exploration of all the things you can do with this feather mechanic. And, you know, so it's very well designed. But would it be a feather mechanic with blocks which are driven by a dash? I don't know. I can't remember now. But there'll be some new version of the block along with some other mechanic. It's never just one mechanic in isolation. So that's what makes it really elegant, I think. I feel like with every level, I'm learning something new. And I, I, re- I compared it with, with The Witness again. 
I think so. Right, when you when you played The Witness and you see the puzzle grid and you're like, what on earth is this? But then you learn what the different symbols mean. You learn on simplified versions of the puzzles. And then later on, you'll come and see a puzzle grid and you'll just know, oh, I know what this means. I know what that means. I understand the language of this puzzle. I can do it. And Celeste is the same. There's there's a wind mechanic. There's a bubble. There's a zip block, whatever. And you get trained on some basic screens. And then later on, when you're ascending to the summit and you get this super complicated weird thing with all these different elements interacting you're like oh i know how to do this i i can recognize you know i should use my dash here and here and it's just a matter of executing perfectly to get to the end so i came across a reddit comment that said oh it's fine i'm going to read a guide because this game's all about execution but that's not the case i really don't think so and being able to learning how to read the level and figuring out what you should execute is as much part of the game as the execution itself. That's really satisfying. But I, I, I think it's very telling that the assist mode, I guess, helps you in both ways. Because if you turn the game speed down, you can still appreciate the game from a logical learning to read the screens way, and it just makes the execution much easier. Or if you just want to execute, but you don't want to engage with the puzzles, I guess you could turn on Infinite Air Dash instead. And then it just becomes a matter of precision movement, but you can just completely ignore the puzzly elements of it. So what what do you make of Celeste? I, I think it is incredibly well designed. Everything is explored to the fullest, but it doesn't outstay its welcome. Like everything is really riding that line it's pushing it right up to the edge of, you know, this is too hard, this is too much, this is not fun, I'm turning it off. You know, it's always really, really difficult, but never quite oversteps its bounds. But it, it gets so close to it that you always feel like, this is ridiculous, I'm I'm going to quit. But you're like, no, I can I can do this. And I think it's funny that the concession of having the assist mode means that it makes absolutely no concessions to being accessible or approachable. It's basically saying, if you want it to be accessible and approachable to someone who is not so familiar with games, here's assist mode. Otherwise, here's the game, this is our vision for the game, deal with it. I suppose one last thing is, is it memorable? That's an interesting word. It won all these prizes, it won all these awards. In a year's time, in two years' time, am I going to be comparing things to Celeste? Am I going to be remembering Celeste? I mean, I'm still talking about Undertale to this day. I don't know if it's going to be the same with Celeste, but I guess it's really too early to tell. I'm sure there will be some bits of it that stick with me. Any final thoughts from you? Um, I definitely think it's memorable. I think there's definitely things we can take from it if we're going to build something. Maybe we should try and clone Celeste. I think... No, we should push things to the absolute limit. What if my limits are really <laughs> weak? Sorry, sorry. Please carry on. No, I think that's fine. I mean, what, originally, 
it wasn't very clear how highly you thought of Celeste. But I think you've made yourself very clear now. Yeah, I I liked it. I appreciated it. I think I appreciated it academically. I appreciate it as a work of art. I don't have this thing like, you know, it's in my heart, like Undertale. But <laughs> that's some weird case. I, th- I probably have a problem with that, let's be honest. So, yeah, it's an excellent game. And we're done? And we're done. So next time, the next book club game, we actually mentioned this before on the previous episode, it's going to be FMV games, specifically Netflix's Bandersnatch, Late Shift, and maybe if we have a surplus of time, Minecraft Story Mode. Yep. But certainly the first two. Yes. So for the next book club episode... Definitely play slash watch Bandersnatch and Late Shift because we will be talking about them and going into spoilers for their stories. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. On Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. On Twitch. And YouTube as Lost Levels Club. On Reddit? Slash r slash Lost Levels Club. I think that's it. Okay, we're not going to mention the F book. (laughs) I just did. So Michael, what are you grateful for today? Specifically today? Oh, no. Can I be grateful? (laughs) Currently? Lately? Can I be grateful that I managed to win Tetris 99? I think this is my proudest achievement in the past week. Do you have to quantify how many times you've won at? <laughs> I've won twice. I have won twice. It's... <laughs> I've gone down the Tetris rabbit hole. I have decided I want to be good at Tetris. <laughs> I All those times before I said, oh, I can play Tetris, but I have no particular skill at Tetris. I've developed some skills at Tetris now. I know how to read the upcoming queue and plan ahead. I know how to T-spin. I know openers. I can do a DT cannon. I can do a perfect clear. I can do a TKI3. <laughs> I'm a competitor now. I could be a contender. I'm just glad I don't have to play against you. I'm glad there are, there are easily 98 other people in this world ready at any moment for you. So Michael says bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>